Well, good morning. Let's have a word of prayer as we start. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to be together, to be able to, in an open way, have our Bibles out, uh, look at what your word has to say, encourage each other in it. Particularly today, we're talking about heaven again. I pray, Father, you'd open our minds and our hearts so that we would think more about you and where we're going to spend eternity rather than today and, and the temporalness of everything in our, in our earthly lives. Help us to get a new perspective. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, by way of just introduction to this second lesson, uh, which I'm calling What's Next? Uh, heaven uh, for short. Um, I wanted to make sure that you know, as, as a overall thinking perspective about the topic of heaven, there are some things in God's word that are very definitive. There is no doubt about it. The scripture teaches X. So for example, salvation. How does a person get right with God? How does a sinful person get right with a holy and righteous God? The Bible is very clear. Mona, would you close that door for me? It's very clear. There's no ambiguity. There's no, well, you know, for the guys in Asia, it's this. And the guys in Africa, it's that. And the guys in, uh, you know, European countries, this is how you get saved. No. It doesn't matter whether it was a thousand years ago or a thousand years from now. Salvation is, is very plain and very clear and easily understood in the scriptures. And you can come at it from a, a variety of scriptural perspectives and still end up at the same answer. Um, in 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, I put them in your notes. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Plain and simple. But not all topics are handled that way in the Bible. There are a number of topics in our Bible where God gives us hints, nudges, pieces. Now, if you're, if you're like me, the competitive whatever, I found a new app, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned this one. I think it's called Earthel. And all they do is take, you, take and give you the outline of a, of a country. No, no context at all, no sense of water or mountains or, or anything, just literally an outline of a country, and you have to guess what the country is. And what each time you make a guess, they will tell you you're so many miles off and in what direction. I am loving it. <laughs> there are things like that, though, in the scriptures where, where he gives us a, a piece, and then over here he gives a piece. And with some understanding, you can kind of put that piece with that piece, which goes with that piece, and pretty soon you have a, a vague understanding or, or some light on the topic. Heaven is like that. This topic of heaven is not one of those things where I'm going to say to you, this is it. I, oh, it's going to be that. Because there is not that clarity in the scriptures like there is on other theological topics. I do, however, think with some study, which is what we're doing, and enough looking at and thinking about and repetitively chewing on some scripture, we can get a much clearer picture of what heaven's going to be like. So today, I'm going to go backwards a little bit to some of the topics we talked about last week, but I'm going to give a lot more detail and a lot more scripture, and that's why I called the lesson Details, Details, Details. So let's just jump in. I'm going to ask the question, in heaven, what will we know? What will we be aware of? What will we know? And I'm going to start by saying we will know each other. You say, all right, Sherry, make your case. All right. In uh, Luke chapter 24, let's let that be the first passage we go to. Luke chapter 24. And I warn you in advance, there's lots of scripture in this lesson. So 
be ready to turn some pages. Luke 24 and uh, verse number 39. What I'm going to contend with you is that we will know each other because we will have actual bodies, glorified bodies. Luke 24, verse number 39. 24, 39. Um, Jesus is standing there. Uh, he's, he's talking to his disciples. Uh, he says, peace be to you in verse 36. They're startled and frightened in verse 37. Verse 38, he says, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do the doubts rise in your minds? Verse 39, he says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. This is the resurrected Jesus. This is Jesus after his death when he has a body, a resurrected body. And by definition, he's saying, hey, a ghost does not have flesh and bones. I've got flesh and bones. So when I say to you, we're going to know each other, I am basing that in part on the fact that Jesus says, hey, look at me. I've got a glorified body. You're going to have a glorified body. Ghosts don't have flesh and blood. This body has flesh and blood. So if this body has flesh and blood, I should be able to recognize you. It's not a blob floating around in the, in the, in the clouds. Revelation 21 uh, is a great passage that talks about us having names. In that particular passage, it talks about the walls of heaven and the gates of heaven and, and the, the fact that the uh, 12 tribes are named there, which are named after the sons of Jacob. Uh, so the 12 tribes, Issachar, uh, Daniel, or Issachar and Zebulon and, and all the rest of them, so Levi and so on. So they're, they're names that are on those, on those walls. Uh, it also lists the 12 tribes, excuse me, the 12 apostles. So the 12 guys that, that ran around with Jesus, they're, they're labeled or memorialized on that wall and on those gates. We will have new names. Revelation chapter 2, look at that one, go to the last book. And you could keep your finger in Revelation because you're going to pop back there a few times. But Revelation chapter 2 and uh, verse number 17 in uh, the tail end of the message that he's given to the city of Pergamum, he says in verse number 17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So there is a process whereby in glory at a specific time on the timeline, which we're going to do the timeline next week, um, when we receive new names. Now, most of us, when we grew up, we didn't like our names. You know, we fantasized about a, a different name. So, I, I don't know. What, what, was your, what did you want it to be called when you were a kid? What was the name you picked? Somebody. My middle name, K. You wanted K, mm -hmm. but you didn't want it as a middle name. You wanted your first name. Got it. Anybody else? What did you want to be? Nobody? Teresa? Deborah. You wanted to be a Deborah. Okay. All right. Lindy, you got one? What did you want to be? You. Yeah, did you have one? Oh. Elizabeth. You're not Elizabeth. Anyway. We're well, going to get a new name. I have no idea what the new name will be. I don't know if it has to do with something in our character or something in our lives. I have no idea, but we're going to get a new name. All right, so blo floating blobs don't have names, right? My contention is we will know each other. We will recognize each other. And I gave you a couple of these last week, but I want to 
mention them again. At the Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, uh, Peter, James, and John, they're going to see Elijah and Moses. Now, I don't know exactly how they recognized them, but they recognized them. They knew this, that guy right there, that's Elijah. That guy right there, that's Moses. You can't do that if you're a floating blob. Um, in Luke 16, uh, Abraham and, and, and Lazarus, two, two names, two people in that story, are actually recognized. They, oh, there's Abraham. Oh, there's Lazarus. Again, floating blobs are not recognized with names. This one is a powerful one in John 21, the last chapter of the book of John. Go there with me, John 21. And in that passage, uh, we mentioned it last week as well, but I want you to see the actual words. Jesus shows up to feed his uh, disciples. He's going he's gonna to make them breakfast. They went fishing. They weren't where they were supposed to be, but he met them in there anyway. There's a lesson there as well. But in John 21, um, he's, he's showing up. In uh, verse number 4, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples did not recognize it was Jesus. So he calls out, Friends, have you got any fish? No. Throw your net on the other side. And they did. And, and there were so many, they couldn't hold the net up. Uh, verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is how John liked to describe himself, said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples fall into the boat and they got, and when indeed they saw, uh, I'm in verse number nine, uh, when they saw fi a fire of burning coals, there were fish on it and some bread and, and they recognized it was Jesus. There was no doubt about it. Jesus then starts his conversation with them. This is the Lord. This is the Jesus, the one we've known, one translation says. And again, in 1 John 3, which I put in your notes, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when he appears, that is Jesus in his second coming, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. We're going to know him because he's going to appear, and we shall see him as he is, and we're going to be like him. That is the strongest evidence to say we're going to recognize each other. We're going to have glorified bodies. Now, just to continue my, my, my contention about that, in Luke chapter 15, there's a discussion about sheep. And in that discussion, Jesus is referring to us as some of his sheep. And he says they are unique and individual. There's that one, and then there's that one, and then there's that one. God doesn't look down and say, all those ladies in Orange County. He doesn't do that. The women of Stony Brook. He doesn't do that. All those whose last names begin with S. He doesn't do that. He calls us individually. He knows Sherry. And Sherry is not Susie. And Susie is not Jen. And Jen is not Marcia. And so on and so on. Um, we are unique individuals. Um, in Matthew 8, when he's talking about the second coming, he says, many will come. Not that whole blob will show up, but, but out of a crowd, many, you could pick them out. And the one I love is in Matthew 26, when he's having the, what we, you and I would call communion, the Last Supper. He's having communion with his disciples. And in that passage, he says, I'm not going to do this again until I can do it with you. I'm not doing this ever again until you're with me in heaven, and then we're going to have communion again. Now, that is individual. 
He's looking at his disciples saying, this is a good thing we're doing now. I'm teaching you something really powerful out of, out of the service of, of the Last Supper. And I want you to go in and commemorate that, what we call communion. But he says, I, I'm not going to do it until I can do it with you. Now, he, he can't make that kind of a statement if, if the recipient isn't a real person isn't a, a, a real individualized, somebody he's going to know, somebody he's going to want to have fellowship with, someone he's going to spend time with. So I hope you're beginning to understand that in heaven we will know each other. I, I, I don't know how to make my case any clearer. Let's go to what else we're going to know. I think we're going to remember some things. One of you asked this last week. What are we going to remember? Well, again, that passage in... Revelation 21, about the memorials on the wall, obviously they remembered the good stuff because they're standing there honoring the 12 tribes and the apostles. It's a, it's a wall of, of, you know, faith. It's a, a wall of remembrance. Yeah, oh, you remember him, and you remember him, and you do remember him. They, they, they're remembering the good stuff about them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been the memorial. We don't have memorials for people that, I mean, I can't imagine them having a, oh, no, Sherry, don't go. Never we have memorials for people that we love. We don't, have, we don't have memorials for people that we couldn't care less about. So we will remember the good stuff. Second thing is... Is that... This is the I think it's fine. I think you can buy it, right? It must be in the kitchen. Would you like to, you know, go... I don't know. I didn't want to break here. You know, either that or we're going to have a break and dance. I don't, I don't know. One or the other. Okay, where was I? We're going to remember the good stuff. So what else are we going to remember? Well, I think you should turn to John 20. Go to John 20. In fact, I'm kind of still there. I was at John 21 in my Bible. So John 20, and look at verse uh, oh, 24 or so. John 20 and verse 24 or so. So that incident we had a few moments ago about the fingers and, and Thomas recognizing, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them, through the door, though the doors were locked. Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands, real hands. Reach out your hand and put it to my side, real side. Stop doubting and believe. You know, there, there, is, a, there is a sense when he responds in verse 28, My Lord and my God, that that out of that resurrected body came a remembrance and he noted it. He knew that was the crucified Christ. So my suggestion to you is we're going to remember what God has done for us. There is a clarity that Thomas was able to recognize resurrected Jesus' hands and side, the wounds thereof, and he got it. He understood it. He, he was, was able to process it based on his memory. I think the same is going to be true for us. Now, there does seem to be some awareness of things that have gone on before us. So if we're in glory, is it possible that we'll know some things that happened before? So in Revelation 6, let's go back to the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 6, this is one of those that, yeah, it kind of looks uh, like it makes good sense. We're going to look at verse number 9. 6, 9. So this is, um, he's opening some seals here. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those that had been slain, past tense, 
because of the word of God and the testimony that they maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were killed as they had been was completed. There is a sense that, that there are some in heaven that are able to look back and see what's going on and it's not good. And they're crying out, how long, Lord? How long is this going to keep going on? Now, that doesn't prove without a shadow of a doubt that we're going to have that kind of awareness, but it suggests it for sure. If, if these people at this moment uh, in, in time have that awareness. But, but then that immediately begs the, well, what if while we're in heaven, we look and our spouse or our children or others that we love dearly are not with us? What, what, will that, what will that do to us? What, what will we have as, a, as an awareness or an understanding? How will we react to that? And Acorn makes a very good point, or Alcorn rather, in his book, Heaven, which I keep urging you to buy. He says this, um, none of our loved ones will be in hell, only some whom we once loved. None of our loved ones will be in hell only some people who we once loved. His point is, is that we will have a biblical perspective about heaven and hell at that point, not the emotional perspective that we have now. Right now, the only perspective we have about our child is emotional. It's personal and it's emotional. And of course, under no circumstances, do we want our children to, to, to suffer. And certainly not for eternity. So it is just like, tilt out, twang, to, to go there, you know, in our, in our current limitations, the kind of mind that we, and spirit that we have now. It's just more than we can even consider. But in heaven, in, in that time frame, in that state, in that relationship with God, we're going to have a biblical perspective, not an emotional perspective. So that which is so intense to us now, because it's an earthly relationship, will not be so intense. Which is why, for example, when we get into the discussion of we're going to be married, there's no marrying or giving in marriage. What? This is the person to whom I've been my entire you know, adult life. Yes, and all of that perspective is human and emotional and personal. It's not spiritual. It's not Godly, in the sense of from God's perspective. So, um, what else will we remember? I do not believe that we're going to be preoccupied with our sin. So, for example, if I think of the most shameful items or time period or, or sin of my life, it is overwhelming to think about. I don't even want to do it. But let's say I did. Um... When I get to heaven, how am I going to deal with that? That shame, that, that overwhelmingness of what I could have and should have, but didn't. Uh, how, how, how will I relate to myself from a standpoint of my own sin? And, and I looked at Isaiah 65, 17. It's in your notes. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. 
Now, I, a little caveat, because I'm going to make a case next week as we go through the timeline. I do think that there is a point and place when the scripture says that all the tears and, and suffering and so on and so, so forth stops. I, I don't think we're to that point yet. I think in the timeline of end times, the judgment seat of Christ may create some tears for me. I think my, my presence at the judgment seat of Christ may cause me to have some sorrow. But not sorrow like, oh man, I'm getting nailed for my sin. I can't be nailed for my sin because it was dealt with at the cross. It's done. The scripture is very clear that it is as far as east is from west. He does not remember that anymore. That's the glory of the salvation we got because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's gone. But at the judgment seat of Christ, when he's handing out the rewards to believers, this is the believers moment, not the unbelievers, and he's given Marcia 15 gold crowns, and Suzanne gets, I don't know, 27 of them, and he gets to Sherry, and he gives me one, and it dawns on me, you know what? I wasted a whole bunch of my life when I could have been pursuing godly, godly things. Yeah, I think it's possible I may shed a tear or two. Not because he's nailing me, not because I'm being punished, not because I'm being held accountable for my sin, but because it's an awareness. Boy, I wasted a lot of life. But as it relates to past sin, gone. I won't remember them, nor does he. That's the important part. What will we learn? So we're still trying to make the case that we're going to know each other. What will we, what will we learn? I think we will learn lots. When I first became a believer, I kept saying to the gal that was discipling me, I can't wait to go to, hev wait to, go to heaven because I'm going to know everything like this. Because everything was so hard for me. The end times, trying to get the timeline, to, ugh, the cross, what is that? I was saved, I am saved, I am being saved, I'm going to be saved. What, what, uh, tilt, you know. And, I, and I, I would say things like, I can't wait to be with the Lord because then I'm going to know it all right then. I'm, ugh, I don't think that's biblical. I think I'll know a lot, but I think it will be an eternity of learning. Look at this, this verse in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, now... But now we, we see, but it's a poor reflection, as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I think there is a learning process that will take place in glory. That there will be, you know, Bible studies, but this one will be led by Moses. Okay, I'm taking Exodus 101. You, you want in on that class? I mean, come on. And a little subset, Miriam's going to do it from the woman's perspective. All right, I'm in. For all of eternity, I don't understand how sun and moon things work. And I don't, I don't get the heavens thing. You start talking to me about planets and I tilt out. You tell me that there's, you know, two billion, billion, billion Milky Ways up there and I just go, I'm gone. Well, I, I'm going to take some classes in that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to go on some trips. Check it out for myself. Nebula 27265-B. I'm going to visit it. I think we'll learn. I think we will learn. All right. Second question. In heaven, what will we be like? So I've made, I hope, my case. But let me give you one more verse on, on our bodies. 1 Corinthians 15. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a long passage, and, and I'm, I'm really just making you go look at it, and I'm going to let you read it yourself. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in about verse 35. So let me read a little bit of it. Someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, Paul says. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of weed or something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, etc., there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has splendor, moon, all that, verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So we're going to have a body, but that body is glorified and imperishable. And, and you know, that, that's the moment when the other part of heaven that we want to talk about, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more, you know, designations of, of disease or illness or difficulty. Yeah, that, that is a wonderful part of a, now I no longer have a perishable body, and as you get into your 70s and 80s, it feels more and more perishable every morning. It's going to become imperishable. The second point I put down about what we will look like, or what we will be like, rather, is we will have all of our racial distinctions. In Revelation 5, and again in, in chapter 7, it talks about a representation around the throne room. And the representation includes every tribe, every language, and, and, and every people, and every nation. Those four distinctions. So if you were from Asia, you're going to look like you're from Asia in glory. If, if you were from Scandinavia, you're going to look like you're from Scandinavia. If you were born in Uganda, you're going to look like you were from Uganda. With no uh, distinctive distinctions of value or worth, but just as difference. Every tribe, every language, every people in every nation is going to be crowding around the throne room of God. We're going to wear clothes. For some of you, that's not a good thing. I don't know, but for, you know. I, uh, I, I, I love thinking about this, though. In Revelation chapter 3, it talks about us being dressed in white. Now, some people, you know, love white, and they look good in white. Others, they don't look so good in white. We're going to look really good in white. I don't know why, but we are. And then we're going to have white robes, white clothes, and then colored sashes. And in fact, in, in, in chapter 15 of Revelation, it talks about his robe, which is made of white, is dipped in blood. So it is, it is a bright red with a sash of some kind. We're going to wear clothes. We're likely going to speak one language. I don't know that for a fact. But because of the way they're worshiping in Revelation 5 and 6, it seems to hint that we're going to have one language. Now, I've told you before, and I really do believe this, I think we're going to worship in Swahili. I have never, in all of my travels, in all the places I've been, and all the people I've worshipped with, never been in a place of more rapture in worship than <coughs> when I went to Kenya and I listened to those people worship. Excuse me. 
I mean to tell you, it was enraptious. <coughs> Pardon me. It's going down the wrong pipe here. There is a purity to that sound. It does not require instruments. The voices are unbelievable. Um, the ranges, the the pitch, the volume. I, I don't know. I think we're going to worship in Swahili. I don't know what we're going to talk in, but I think we're going to worship in Swahili. The scripture is giving us a hint there when we see the worship around the throne, but we don't know that for a fact. This one's interesting. We're going to have kids around us. You say, okay, whose kids? Well, let's figure out that we got kids first. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. What are we doing on time? <coughs> I apologize for that. Isaiah chapter 11, and uh, it's a discussion of, of glory. And he starts in about verse number 6, I think it is. Yeah, he's given kind of a description of what it's going to be like. He says, well, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Okay, so a wolf, a leopard, a goat, a lion, a calf are all messing around with a little kid. <coughs> the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox, the infant, now the littlest among the kids, will play near the hole where the cobra is, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest, they will neither harm nor destroy all on my holy mountain. Oh, okay, <laughs> so we got kids and we don't have to worry about them with the snakes. Or lions, or tigers, or bears, oh my. I, I, you know, the, the understanding is that during glory, those things that we know as hurt or harmful, that can hurt or harm our children, are, are not going to be true in heaven. Now, these kids, where do they come from? Well, it depends on which period uh, of eschatology we're talking about. If it's right after the rapture, there's seven years of the tribulation, and people are still having children on the earth, and they're going to have kids, some of whom are going to go directly to glory. They're, they're going to be destroyed during Satan's rampage. So there, there is that. There is the thousand-year reign of the millennium. I promise I'll lay all this out for you in a timeline. But during the millennium, uh, Jewish people are ruling and reigning, and they're all having kids. So there are children, and, and they're not going to be harmed uh, among us. Now, I made a statement last week, and I'll reiterate it. We're not angels, but we govern them. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about us judging angels. We're not going to be married. I've given you that fact before. Uh, Matthew 22 talks about how we are not married, and so we do not have the same emotional or physical attachments. You say, well, how could it be heaven if, if I'm not attached to my husband like I am now? The attachment you have now is meant to be a foretaste. It's meant to be a, ooh, that is great. When he, he brought man and woman together in the union, and the two shall be one, was a picture of the union he intends to have with us. So it's a, it's a, it's a kindergarten example. It's a really good kindergarten example, but it's a kindergarten example. That, that kind of relationship will be between God and us, and while I believe we will know our husbands and I believe we will have fellowship with them, it is not the same. You are not going to be attached in the same way. We are going to enjoy things, lots of things. And this one I want to make a, a case on. We're going to go fishing. Uh, I want you to go to uh, Ezekiel, if you're in Isaiah, go to Ezekiel 47. 
the kinds of things that you like to do now, and if we had time, I'd have you shout them all out. But on, on my list, I love to go fishing. I love fishing. It's a very restful thing for me. It's something I really enjoy. And when I saw this in Ezekiel, I jumped up and down. I said, all right, I'm going to heaven. This is too good. So in Ezekiel 47, starting in about verse number 9, I think it is. 47.9, am I there? Yes. Um, <clears throat> so he says in verse number 9, I can't find 9. I found 10, but I can't find 9. There it is. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Ingoliam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. And it goes on and on and on. I'm going fishing. Now that one is is using nets. I prefer a pole and a reel and all that stuff. But but my point being, if we're going to if we're going to list the things that that are godly desires, God's saying you're going to be able to do that. You're going to be able to fish. You're going to be able to eat, and all those other things. All right. Lastly, in heaven, what will we be like? There will be nothing that will be unholy. This is pretty good. Nothing unholy. Revelation 21. Nothing impure will ever enter in it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing unholy. Nothing that can bring us down. Nothing that can cause us heartache or shame or guilt. So who's going to be there? You know, my assumption is that if you're in this Bible study, especially if you've been coming for years and years, you probably know the Lord as your Savior. But I, I'm just going to remind you, the only people that are going to be in heaven are the people that have been saved by His grace. Period. Don't, don't try to make the case for the, the sweet lady you know who's... Who, and it doesn't matter what religion pick one uh you know great mormon families great jewish families great whatever families and and they've been wonderful neighbors and they've been the greatest people you've ever known in your life the most selfless and da 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 and say well surely they're going to heaven and my response to you is surely if that's the basis of their going what i have done the answer is no they're not the salvation that we see described in scripture is based on what christ did not what we did and I, and, I, and I gave you lots of verses there, but my, my favorite go-to is in Ephesians 2. For by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, lest we would boast. So the, the heaven we're talking about in this series is reserved for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, who have said, I cannot meet the standards of a holy and righteous God by myself. By my performance, no matter how good my performance. I am sinful. I have broken his commands. I was born a sinner, and I confirm it every single day with my behavior. And on that basis, I'm in trouble. But if there was a time and a place when I came to realize that, and I came to put my faith and trust in Jesus, accepting the gift that he gave me by his sacrifice on the cross, then I have the opportunity to go to glory. There's a question here about how many people are going to go to glory. And I tell you what, in the interest of time, I'll, I'll save that calculation for you next week. Let's talk just for a moment, though, about infants. Are they, are they going to be... ...and 
and he says, you can't come to me, but I'm going to come to you. I don't know the details of how that works. I don't know what a child looks like uh, in heaven. I just know that there is a place for them. And then one that usually comes up when we start asking about heaven is, what about angels, or animals rather? Everybody that loves animals wants to go if there's animals in heaven. Um, I'm going to make a case there will be. And here's, here's my evidence. God cared enough about them to make sure that they were all named, that they were seen distinctive. He didn't want an elephant to be confused with a sloth. He wanted an elephant to be named elephant and a sloth to be a sloth. He made a big deal about that right there in, in Genesis 2. They were included in the covenant in Genesis 9. They show up in the millennium. I just read you the ones that were messing around with our kids. Lions and wolves and cobras and things. Surely dogs are going to make it in there. I don't know about cats, but dogs I'm for. Johnny Erickson taught it does a quote, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to the end of my lesson with this. She says, if God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be just like him. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character. He's exorbitant. He's excessive. He's extravagant in grace after grace. And he is. So I wouldn't be surprised if Abby shows up. But I can't make my case. So, so what? What's the so what to this lesson? In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse number 14, the Bible says this. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, all this stuff we've been talking about, you make every effort to be found three things. Spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So this week, when you're thinking about heaven, I want you to ask yourself, am I making every effort to be spotless? Where's some stuff in your life that ought to be cleaned up? Is there, is there an area where I'm not blameless? This should start. That should stop. And am I truly at peace with him? Is my relationship with him so important that I have peace? And if not, that we give the, the, the things that are causing spots, the things that are causing us to feel blame, and the things that are messing with our peace some attention. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much again for your word that gives us uh, direction uh, for a living, and in this case gives us something to look forward to, to look at life differently instead of that this is all there is, but that this is the foyer, the preamble, the beginning, and Father, to not hold it so tight, but to look forward to what you have for us in eternity. Give us insight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for coming. It would have been no fun without you. I'm loving